You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here, to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week we will get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? This week, Amy and Randy are on the show, a father-daughter team that share a love of the high-wheel bicycle also known as the Penny Farthing. I'm sure you've seen these bikes at some point, whether it was in a parade or some sort of historical event. The high wheeler was popular in the 1800s, and both Amy and Randy have vintage high wheel bikes that they use to ride some epic adventures together. Most recently, they biked from Michigan all the way down to Key West, averaging about 60 miles a day on their high wheelers. Today, they're going to share their adventure. Enjoy! Well, on the show today, we have Amy and Randy. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So these guys are a father-daughter team, and they rode high-wheel bikes for thousands of miles. So I'm really excited to hear your story and find out a little bit more about high-wheelers. So I guess let's get right into it. Let's do it. We're ready. Good deal. Well, why don't we start by having you guys tell us where you live now and what the cycling culture is like. I live in Carleton, Michigan, and the cycling culture around here is minimal. There's not a lot of cyclists around here Mm -hmm. in our area. It's a very rural area. I know probably everybody that cycles around here. There's just not a tremendous amount of people who cycle around here. Mm Mm-hmm. The Detroit area has quite a few cyclists and stuff like that. So you can get the cycling from our area. But mm-hmm. Monroe County is not a huge cycling area any longer. I live in Davis, California, and the cycling culture is humongous in Davis, California. It is one of the cycling capitals of the United States. Wow. We have more bicycles than people in the city. Um they had the very first bike light put in on traffic lights, specifically for bikes. So I moved there six years ago um, to work for the University of California, Davis, which has a huge enthusiasm for biking, biking to work, having the students bike. Um, so I come from a very bike friendly mm-hmm. city now. Uh, so it's a very large switch from growing up in rural Michigan to going to bike capital USA. Right. And a good thing. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun. And Randy, is part of the reason there's not much cycling, is it because of population or are there no trails or is it mostly gravel? It's mostly because it's rural and it is population where it's a farming community. It's a great place to cycle because it is rural. Sure. At one time, roads were terrible, but they've improved all the roads around here. So we just held a century ride for the high wheelers here in September and people came from different states to ride because everything had been closed. So we wanted to do a ride and they all said it was one of the best centuries they did. It was, it's very flat here, but the roads were quiet. And other than dealing with a tractor every now and then, um, they had a great ride. Mm-hmm. So, 
And I'm intrigued by the statement that you had a century ride for high wheelers. So mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody knows what a century ride is, but that means you're riding those tall, old bikes for 100 miles at one time. Yep. I don't even know what to say about that. That's just amazing. <laughs> Let's talk about your most recent trip. You guys rode your high wheelers from Michigan, which is where Randy is, all the way to Key West, Florida. That yes. is mind-blowing in itself. Um, I think I read somewhere it was just over 2,000 miles, um, but you're on high wheelers. So, you know, this is a podcast, so we don't have the visual, but can you describe what a high wheeler is? Well, high wheelers are originally called ordinaries or penny farthings. They were the first bicycles made after bone shakers, which were the wagon wheel made out of cast iron type Mm. things where you had the pedals on the front wheel. High high wheelers have the very large front wheel and the small rear wheel made starting in about 1878 through 1892. Typically, most people just call them high wheels or a lot of people still call them bone shakies, even though they're not. It's very tall. It's based on your inseam. So, for example, I ride a 52-inch high wheel bike. And so if you're visualizing how tall that makes you, imagine yourself sitting on your own shoulders, and that's how high you are off the ground. Wow. And um, I'm sure that people are catching on to what it is, but the front wheel is huge, like you mentioned, and then the back wheel is really tiny. So... I mean, I have so many questions, and the the obvious one is, how do you get on it? On the back of the spine of the bicycle, there's a tiny little step on the left side. Oh, okay. So right above the small wheel, you stick your left foot on there, um, and then you, you know, you kind of scooter along with your right foot, and then once you have enough momentum, you use the step to step up onto the seat and get going. Okay, and then... Do you do the same thing to get off, or do you kind of just jump? There's both. The (laughs) jump is more of an emergency dismount, but as frequent riders, we have had to do many of those just because you never know what comes along in the road. Mm -hmm. But typically, you just stick your left foot back, find the pedal, and um, get off the bike before it slows down to a crawl. Okay. And um, are these bikes still manufactured today, or are you riding bikes that are super old? Well, we're riding original bikes. The bikes what we were riding were made in 1888 by Columbia. Wow. But there are still a couple people making replicas currently in this country. There's one in Czechoslovakia. There used to be one in Australia making replica bikes. Mm-hmm. But there there are still people making replica bikes of them. They're they're very close to the originals, but usually they don't try and copy them. They try and modernize them to make them for racing or heavier duty to ride long distance or something like that. And do these bikes have gears? No, they're direct drive. Okay, so they're like a fixed gear, meaning you yeah. if you stop pedaling, you either go over the handlebars or <laughs> or you stop really quick. Exactly, yeah. They're the original fixies that, you know, like you, a lot of the... Couriers are there riding fixies in the cities now mm-hmm. that are fixed gear bikes. Um, so, yeah, these are fixed gear. And are they heavy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that we have are actually called light roadsters. So they're the lighter versions of others made. And they're about 40 to 45 pounds. And that's not weighed down with bike bags you might put on them. 
Yeah. Um, not a light bike. So when I see people riding them, um, like I do Ragbri here in Iowa, which is a bike ride across the state, and there's usually um, just a small team of people that are riding those, and they look so, they just don't look comfortable. Because like when you're sitting on it, your handlebars seem, I, I don't know, maybe they're just not properly fit, but are they comfortable to ride? For, yeah, they are. For short distances, they are. When you get into long distances, that's when they start to get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly because you never get out of the saddle. Oh, like you sure. Do. You're sitting all the time and you're pedaling all the time. So like on your normal bike, when you get a little saddle sore, you just stand up on the pedals. Or if you're climbing up a hill, you stand on the pedals. These you sit all the time. And the other issue with these is on your normal bike, a certain percentage of your weight goes on your handlebars, on your arms. Mm -hmm. On these bikes, none of it do. So it all goes on your sit bones. So oh, okay. they tend to get, have to get off, off of them periodically just to get circulation going again in your rear end. Right. So you can't coast really ever. And all the weight is on your lower part of your body. Right. Interesting. <laughs> So then when you're trying to get up hills or go down hills, like, are you pretty choosy about your route? Because I would assume, you know, it's obvious that if it's a fixed gear, you have no choice but to keep on pedaling. But going down, you don't have the luxury of coasting. So, I mean, it really depends on the hill. Going down hills, we can still take you know you can take your feet off the pedals and kind of coast that way um we only do that when we can see what's at the bottom of the hill of course because once you take your feet off the pedals that's your form of braking and oh, so there's yeah. a way of gaining control back when you're going 16 or 20 miles an hour and maybe there's a stop sign at the bottom of the hill mm -hmm. so we just have to be pretty um aware of our surroundings before we just zoom down a hill again if it's super steep we'll just get off and walk because safety first sure so which one of you first had interest in this style of bike that would be me okay <laughs> and what sparked that interest well i was a cyclist prior to being introduced to high wheels and had done some bike touring and stuff like that with my high school friends and stuff and then back in 92 or 93 um, a friend of mine who played in a Civil War band heard of a gentleman trying to recreate a high wheel bicycle band that was in St. John's, Michigan. Mm. That was a band that rode high wheels and played brass instruments in parades. And they wanted to try and reproduce that band. And I played brass instruments with him. And he knew I was a cyclist. He goes, are you interested? And I said, oh, that sounds like it'd just be a lot of fun. Right. So I was one of the six or seven people that got chose to reproduce the St. John's bicycle band. And they taught me to ride a high wheel. It's kind of an addicting thing when they put you up on one and you learn to ride it. Mm -hmm. So once I learned to ride it, I just never got back off. Wow. I just loved be being up that high and how it felt, just the whole dynamics of the bike. So that's how it started. I played in the bicycle band, ended up loving riding high wheels, mm -hmm. eventually found my own high wheel and um, joined the wheelman and then drug the whole family into it. <laughs> And then, Amy, when did you first start riding a high-wheeler? 
When I was 13, so my dad mentioned the family joined the Wheelman, which is the national organization that folks collect and restore antique bicycles. We do parades and demonstrations. Um, and so along with that, when you do parades or demonstrations, you wear the period attire. Oh, okay. And back in the day, women always wore dresses, skirts, etc. And right around when I was a teenager, I was pretty sick of wearing all of that and doing all the normal lady type things. And my dad said, well, if you want to not wear a dress, you have to wear pants. But typically when you wear the pants of the uniform or the period gear, you're supposed to ride high wheels because that's what men wore. So a little bit binary, but I was like, yep, sign me up. I'm going to do it. <laughs> so he taught me how to ride a high wheel in a parking lot. And here we are today, 17 years later, still riding high wheels. Oh, that's great. That's great. Do you ever get it out in uh, California and just, you know, zoom around town? I do. Yeah, we um, my dad sent me one in the mail. So giant crate. Oh, and so that was my training high wheel um, when we were training for our trips that we took. And it's really funny because the city of Davis, the the symbol of the city is a high wheel bicycle. And oh. so when I and I didn't know that when I first moved there, when I interviewed for my job, and then I saw the high wheel just all over town, and I'm like, I belong here. <laughs> I need to be here. <laughs> right. I'll take it out, and I'll ride around town, and folks will follow me or take my picture, and the students at the college absolutely love it. A quick interruption to tell you this week's podcast is sponsored by Lizard Lips Lip Balm. These great lip balms contain natural ingredients, come in a variety of flavors, and you can choose certified organic or balms with sun protection. Check it out at lizardlips.net. Now back to the show. Well, let's get into your epic adventure. Like I mentioned, you started in Michigan and rode your bikes all the way to Key West, Florida. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about this trip? Sure. So some overall numbers for you is we started on October 9th and we ended on November 14th. So it took us 37 days mm. to do the whole trip. We rode every single day. So on average, we were trying to reach 60 miles per day, wow. but we had some lighter days uh, due to weather. Um, and we had some days where we went farther than 60 miles. And overall, it was 2,030 miles to get to Key West. 60 miles in a day on those. That's impressive. After you do it for a week, you just keep on doing it. <laughs> right. And you said no days off? No days off. Some, I think our lightest day was around 28 miles or 30 miles. And that's really just because there was downpouring rain and wind. And mm -hmm. we just tried to inch forward mm -hmm. a little bit. Wow. Okay, so you started this trip um, just last month in October. When did you decide that you were going to do this adventure? Like, what was the planning like? We decided about two years ago. We had rode in 2016 from San Francisco to Boston mm -hmm. on our very first trip to cross the country on the Thomas Stevens route, which was the very first bicycle across the United States in 1884. And we wanted to do that ride. And did you do that, do that on high wheelers? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So that was our very first trip. And that's the traditional, you know, if you're going to be a high wheeler doing a cross country thing, you try and do the Thomas Stevens ride. He started in San Francisco and ended up in Boston. So we followed his route across the country. Hmm. He was attempting to be the first woman to ever 
ride a high wheel across the country. Um, she ended up being the second one. Another female finished it that, that year before us. Oh, okay. So we did that ride. And then after we finished that, there's, we were number 36 and 37, I think, total since 1884 that's done it. Wow. Of total, there was a pretty large group in 1984 that did the same ride from the Wheelman. Uh, a group of them wanted to do a 100-year anniversary of the ride. So we were the last two that did it. And there's a very small group since they did east to west or west-east, whichever way you go, had done north to south and from border to border. And after I finished that, I said, you know, I want to be part of that group too. I want to do another ride because I enjoyed the first one so much and I want to do our own north to south route. Mm -hmm. So we started planning that and we were supposed to go last year and it didn't work out because of our work schedule. And then this year, so this year was going to be our year to do it. It was all locked in with getting off of work and everything like that. So we had chose the first person who ever did it, did it from International Falls to New Orleans Mm. was their route. And we looked at that and decided we wanted to go further south than New Orleans. We wanted to go to Key West. And then a friend of ours suggested you're from Michigan. Why wouldn't you start in Sault Ste. Marie at the Canadian border at the International Bridge? And they go, that's a great idea instead of Minnesota. So we decided to do ours through Michigan and start at the Canadian border at Sault Ste. Marie and then ride all the way to Key West. And so then the virus came along and then, you know, we had to figure out if it was safe to do it. Mm -hmm. After much planning and discussion, it was really decided it doesn't make any difference if you're sitting in your house or if you're out riding a bike, as long as you're staying away from people, which you do on the bike all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was really no safety issues other than where we were staying and eating. Mm-hmm. And we figured that all out and decided we were going to go for it regardless. Nice. And I, I believe from the photos I saw, you were not packing all your gear on your bike, right? Um, at the beginning, my wife took us up to there and started us and stayed with us for four days. And mm. then she came home. So the next two weeks, we piped, packed all of our stuff with us. So oh. we were on our own two weeks of the five weeks, which is much more difficult on a high wheel. But I also wanted that experience. I wanted to be very self, you know, self-contained mm-hmm. to see how it would go and everything like that. Um, it just makes the days... It takes away any of your options of not making it to a hotel or place because we can't carry camping gear. There's just no room on the bike and no way to carry it. Mm -hmm. So we have to make it to a hotel regardless of weather, regardless if you break down, regardless. Because you just can't call somebody and say, hey, can you pick me up? Because no one can transport the bike. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So, you know, a couple of of days were very challenging. You know, when we ran into rain and stuff like that, we were pedaling in, in the rain and, you know, close to dark. Mm down these roads, you know, that you're not really that familiar with and stuff, trying to make it to a hotel for the night just because everything is not gone as planned for that day. Mm-hmm. Another reason for the kind of shorter days of only 60 miles. I mean, most bike touring people, you know, they're doing 70, 80, 90, 100 miles a day mm-hmm. <clears throat> on your regular bikes. But we just, we can't do that because of just the so much uncertainty in every day, whether something's going to happen to the bike or if you're going to make it or not. So we tried to give ourselves some fudge room so that we would be able to make it in safely. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about that, you know, when you were mentioning about being self-contained for a few weeks, I'm assuming that one of you or both of you are pretty in tune with mechanical issues that may come up on a high wheeler. But what about something as simple as a flat tire? Like, is there somebody out there that makes tubes so that you can carry a bunch of them with you? 
Well, the tires don't have air in them. They're solid rubber. Oh, no way. So, yeah. So there is no really issue with getting a flat tire on these. Oh. Yeah, the, the wheel is solid rubber, and it's wired on. So the only real tire issue you can have is if the wire breaks and the tire comes off the bike. And you're pretty much done at that point, regardless, because there's no way to really put, especially a front wheel tire back on, on the road. Mm. It requires a special machine and that kind of stuff to put it on. We did lose, on our first trip, I, my rear wire broke on the back wheel in the middle of Wyoming, um, out in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And we were finally figured of, I had Gorilla Tape with me, so we just basically taped it back onto the rim and rode in that day. And then keep we kept taping the rear tire onto the, onto the rim every day until a, a rear wheel could be sent out to us ahead of us wow. from back home. One of, some of our wheelmen friends got together, took a wheel off of a bike, packed it all up. And my wife shipped it to a hotel because she was not with us at the time, a week ahead of time so that it would be there when we rode in mm -hmm. and we could swap the wheel out and get a tire back on the bike. But no flats. Yeah. I. That's hard to believe that it's just solid rubber. Um, yeah. So do, does that mean that your body feels every single crack and bump that you go over? Yes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Every rock is like a mountain. You're like, where did you even come from? Right. I just can't imagine this. It's just, it's really, really cool. Um, any like funny stories or interesting tales that you want to share? So many. It's the, that's the best part of the trip is you don't know what is going to happen each day. Mm. I think one of the most random things that happened is that we were... We're in Georgia. Um, I have a daily blog that I posted. And so I would write our route for the day um, and where we ended. So one morning we are in this parking lot of this motel and we're about to leave and I fall off my bike. That's unusual in itself, first of all, because I mean, I've been riding a long time. Typically, I don't fall off my bike unless there's something really bad happening but mm -hmm. here i am getting on for the first time in the morning and i think my leg just hit the handlebar the wrong way or whatever but i fell over so we're sitting in the parking lot for five ten minutes while i'm trying to figure out what i did and make sure the bike's okay make sure i'm okay and this car pulls into the parking lot right next to us and this lady comes out and she goes i'm from carlton <laughs> and we were confused <laughs> at first because i was like carlton Georgia, where are you from? <laughs> this woman was from Carlton, Michigan, so our hometown. Oh. And so she gets out of the car and she explains who she is. She says, my name's Mary. I grew up in Carlton. Here's who my family is. My dad knew her brother and went to high school with one of them. And so she had heard about our trip from somebody in Carlton. From her brother. From her brother. So she doesn't live in Carlton anymore. Mm -hmm. She found the blog. Figured out where we were and, and we were down. and tracked us down. So we were still in her where she lived. We were in the town where she resided. Oh, oh. she was in the next town. Oh, over. she was in the next town over. And so she got up in the morning. She goes, I'm going to find them. <laughs> wow. So she uh, read the blog and figured out approximately where we were. She knew our our approximate our route because we were just on one sort of main road for that time. Um, and then she went out and bought us all these snacks because we were writing about these 
we were trying to find moon pies because it's the south. <laughs> Couldn't find any. So she picks oranges from her yard, goes to Walmart, finds us moon pies. She got us cotton out of the cotton fields. She got Georgia peanuts, all of this stuff. And she just gets in her car and decides she's going to find us. And she's like, here I am. I have these gifts <laughs> for you. I'm so excited that you're here. And so we had this small town, small world moment that it was just so wild because it, neither of us ever would have thought that somebody would go that far out of their way right. to try and find us and not only just find us to talk to us but like bought us all of these goodies that we were trying to find and were just sort of coming up empty-handed so that gesture in itself was just like the most mind-blowing like thoughtful thing that I, I mean neither of us expected right that's great probably one of the crazier stories that we had because I mean we've been singing it's a small world after all for so many parts of the trip we would meet people at gas stations they're like i'm from michigan where are you from and we're like well what are you doing here so <laughs> in some random town in the south and we're like what brought you here yeah well and you probably i mean both of you have to have a pretty um open personality and the ability to want to talk to people because i know firsthand when i've seen high wheelers like, I can't look away. Like, I have to see what's going on. And if somebody got off of one of them, I'm pretty sure I'd probably go over and start bugging them and asking them all about it. We get a lot of people. The The bike is a great icebreaker for meeting people. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite part of the whole thing about riding and stuff like that is you just get to meet all these everyday great people that you would never have met. If I rode up on my 10-speed into a gas station you know, someone look over and just go about their business. Mm -hmm. When you ride up on a high wheel, like you say, it just attracts attention. They want to know about it. They want to see it. You know, I've never seen one except for on pickers, American pickers. We hear about Mike Wolf all the time mm. uh, after high wheels on there. And um, it's, so you get to meet a lot of very interesting people and hear where they came from and what they're doing. And they all have stories that they tell you. And so that's the great part of the bike. It's just a real icebreaker. A quick interruption to tell you this week's sponsor is Thirsty Pigs, a full-service mobile event company offering beer, wine, spirits, plus catering for any indoor or outdoor event. Check out more at thirstypigs.com. Now back to the show. And I got to give you a, a through-the-phone high-five, Amy, because your blog like makes me feel like I was there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's like just great stories and... Um, I think, you know, of the ones that I've read, you start off with your mileage on each one. And, and that in itself, I like read it and go, they did? Wow, how did they do that? And then you go on to tell like, some funny story. And it's it's really, I hopefully your, your intention is to be entertaining, because I'm definitely entertained by it. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, tell us about like, actually planning the route. Um, you know, like your first trip, you were on a specific route because you were trying to uh, imitate, you know, the first high wheelers. But on this Michigan to Key West, um, which one of you is the maps person who, you know, I'm assuming you have to look for elevation issues, traffic, all of that sort of thing. So how did you come up with the route? Well, first we picked out where we're going to start and where we're going to go. We use Google Maps for bikes a lot. Um, which is good and bad both. 
we used a lot of people, wheelmen that live in states oh, to sure. help us route. You know, because we, we, you know, we kind of put it in Google Maps, kind of routed the best bicycle route. Um, Venture Cycling has route maps, which I'm sure you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. And we looked at, you know, what they had, and one of our friends had used part of theirs and showed us what they had used when they had rode across the country. So we kind of piece it together from there. But most of it is really done day by day. Um, it's not like we sat and mapped out we will be in this town, this town, this town, and go all the way down because none of the days go as we planned, sure. unfortunately. You, you usually run into either piston problems or western or weather problems. And if we map it out in a fixed thing, we have to be here on this day, this day, and this day. We, I mean, two or three days in, our whole rest of our trip is going to be all out of alignment mm-hmm. so this trip you know basically we knew the first two days of where we were going to be and that was it the rest of that we had the route we ride the day we were going to ride from Sault Ste. Marie to Mackinac Island we're good friends with the owners of the Murray Hotel on Mackinac Island from all the meets that we have up there so that's our way to get across the straits anyways you get on the ferry you go to the island we spent the night got on the ferry and came over into the lower peninsula mm-hmm. and started riding and you just look along the route and figure this is 60 miles. Are there hotels there? Can we get there? And once we do that, we decide that's our town we're going to. Then we start looking at what roads are available to get there. Mm-hmm. 90% of the time it works. <laughs> <laughs> the other 10% of the time you're standing out in the middle of nowhere and it's telling you to turn right on a road that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, shoot. A trail that a high wheel bike cannot go down because we could not get it to not give us dirt roads. Mm-hmm. Um, we can do a short dirt road, but especially down in the south, some places it would take us down these sandy farm lane things that we could not get down. So then we're backpacking, backtracking back to the main road that is trying to keep you off and just says, forget it. There's a shoulder here. We are riding on this road to the next town and figuring it out from there. Mm-hmm. And I would assume that um, at, at least as long as people aren't distracted while they're driving, I would assume people are pretty good about giving you space. Yeah, they are. Um, the high wheel, You're much safer on a high wheel than a regular bike because they just are curious about the bike. So mm-hmm. that slows most of them down. There are still, you know, you're one out of 100 that just blows right by you two feet away and scares the crud out of you. Right. But in general, no, they mostly get over or slow down. Actually, they cause more problems for themselves because so many people try and slow down and take pictures in traffic with people behind them of you going down the road you know then there's people behind them beeping and slamming on their brakes and doing stuff like that so they kind of endanger themselves more than anything Mm -hmm. trying to see who we are Mm -hmm. and we have bike lights too so again with the safety procedures that we're trying to take we have Front lights and back lights that are very, very bright and blinking. So we really try and do the best we can to make sure we're very visible. Um, and I'm... those are Carly Harper. <laughs> oh, cool. Very cool. And we called them and said, said, Charlie, I know you have a high wheel there. The last lights we used on the last trip were not that great that we use. I need you to fit some on your bike and then send me two sets of them. And that's what him <laughs> and Greg did. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we should give a shout out to Harper's Cycling oh, yeah. in Muscatine. They're they're great people. Charlie does, is a high wheeler. I'd be curious to know how many photographs you guys are in across the United States. Oh. <laughs> I have no idea. It's in the thousands. I'm sure it is. Wow. 
Well, I kind of mentioned this to Amy, but uh, do both of you ride the high wheelers year round? I mean, if the weather's appropriate? I do. I ride pretty much all year. I just enjoy that speed and seeing up high over the fields and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I ride it to work. Um, I only work two miles away, so um, some, um, during the summer I'll ride. I don't get to ride very much, you know, in the wintertime here because in Michigan it's way too snowy. Every once in a while we'll get a, a warm February or March day that you can sneak out and go for a ride. But mm-hmm. Amy has much more opportunity to ride year-round than I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I ride... I ride less than my dad. I ride periodically. Um, there's a parade in Davis that I used to participate in um, in April. I also have just like a regular commuter bike. And so I also just ride that with my roommates or other folks um, in town. Mm-hmm. And how did you go about, Amy, uh, training for this? I mean, 2,000 miles on that sort of bike is way different than riding your regular your commuter bike so how oh, was, yeah how was training this year was pretty unfortunate i have to be honest so we um i didn't start training until about the summertime because we it was very up in the air if we were going to go mm-hmm. um with covid and everything and my job so i still work full-time my dad does too um but i work at the university in my program is very busy between the months of July and September. So we were just kind of taking a look at it. Are we going to go? And once we figured out we were going to go, I started training. So I would ride on the weekend. And then I live in Northern California, but even in Northern California, it gets to be 110 during the day. Mm. So you have to squeak in rides where you can. I would try and ride 20, 30 miles a day in the weekends. But then in July and August, we were hit with really bad fires in California. So we had smoke and air issues and you could not go outside basically. Mm. Um, So that really took a downturn for the training I was able to do. Fortunately for me, my partner, he has a exercise bike and I was like, can I borrow this for like (laughs) two months? Yeah. So I at least had something. It's not anywhere close, but I would try and ride my high wheel, my regular bike, that exercise bike, just when I could. Um, So it helped having the exercise bike because you can just like ride no matter what the air quality is. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely not as fresh as air as Michigan had, but I I tried my best. Mm -hmm. And uh, a funny side note in your blog, you listed uh, the count of how many ibuprofen you took, (laughs) which I thought was pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah, no matter how much you ride, again, because if you're not riding the high wheel, you really just have to build up a lot of callus. Yeah. And no matter what, your body just gets tired. Even though we did this four years ago, I feel like I aged 20 years for some strange reason. (laughs) And so there's parts of your body that just hurt. And you're like, that was unexpected. So you can take care of yourself as best as you can. Sure. Well, now that you've done two epic high wheeler adventures, do you guys have a third a vision yet? No, we don't. Nope. <laughs> that is what's your next trip. I really don't have anything planned at all. Well, that's good. You can then just enjoy day to day riding on that high wheeler. Right. I still have trips planned on the high wheeler. The national meet is held once a year somewhere in the United States. And the last quite a few years, I've probably 
arriving to the national meet the way they traditionally did in the 1800s, which means you rode your bike into the meet. Mm. So it's called ride to the meet from your home. So last year I rode to um, Missouri, Sedalia, Missouri from home, which was like 700 and some miles. Next year it's in Wisconsin. Amy had rode to a, with me a few years ago um, to Wisconsin from home to the meet there. So next year I'll be riding to Wisconsin. So there's short trips still planned. Mm-hmm. Because I still plan on riding to the meet as long as I can because I really like that experience. I never ride home from the meet, though. (laughs) (laughs) These are all forward to doing some more shorter trips because the one downside about doing these really, really long trips is that, again, you have to to make a goal. You have to make a destination each day. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes you ride by something and you're like, oh, I wish we could get off and really explore this part of town. But since we have to get going, we can't. So I'm hoping that in the future I can do some more... um, trips where you can just really explore an area more rather than like try and race through it as fast as you can mm-hmm. some weekend trips maybe you live by napa valley that'd be a great place to ride a highway just remember valley means there's hill <laughs> <laughs> there's there's both there's up hill. and down yeah, yeah that's right yeah well if people want to check out your blog or photographs from your adventures or just what you know all about high wheelers where can they go sure so our blog is high wheel ride dot wordpress.com um so h-i-g-h-w-h-e-e-l-r-i-d-e dot wordpress.com we also had a facebook page so if it's easier for folks to find us on facebook you just search amy and randy's ride and it has all of our blog posts and the blog website itself um and you can see the photos i dropped the photo albums there everything that we've taken a picture of <laughs> so folks can just go back and see the uh the diary accounts of both of our trips are on the blog and they are very entertaining so i would highly suggest people go check it out of course the photographs are awesome too thank you very much yeah mm-hmm. well uh thank you both for taking the time to be on the podcast and i if you guys ever come through Iowa on those high wheelers, uh, hopefully you let me know so I can uh, come maybe do a test ride or something. Oh, no problem. We'll be there. I'll be there riding Rag Bride with Charlie one of these years. So. Oh, excellent. Very good. He's asking me to come for years. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was really great getting to share with you. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks, Amy and Randy, for sharing your story. You can learn more about their adventure on their blog, which can be found at highwheelride.wordpress.com or by following them on their Facebook page titled Amy and Randy's Ride. If you have a topic or name of a cyclist you find interesting, email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. Visit my Instagram for daily entertainment and check out the Morphology YouTube to find videos of some of the places I go with my bike. I'll leave you with this quote from the unwritten book of Morphology. This quote comes from Eckhart Tolle. Acknowledging the good that you already have in your life is the foundation for all abundance. Think about it. <laughs>